have so much, so little, from so few. We made a way out of no way. But for that to persist in a nation that claims to be about equal protection under the law, that claims to be about fulfilling the promise of the Declaration of Independence, for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it's, it's, it's not been for us. For us, it has been hardship, horror, and hellish moments continuously. I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, California seriously explores reparations for African Americans. For decades, African American activists and politicians have made the case for reparations to provide some measure of compensation for the legacy of slavery, racism, and discrimination in the U.S. But these efforts haven't gone anywhere. Now California is taking the argument for reparations to the next level. A state task force of economists, public policy experts, and elected officials has written a detailed draft report that attempts to quantify the costs of historical injustice. They calculate it to be as much as $800 billion. The goal of the task force is to recommend to state lawmakers who should be eligible to receive compensation of one kind or another. That big top-line number and the potential for payments to some individuals of up to a million dollars or more have gotten a lot of attention, positive and negative. And we'll get into what those numbers mean, because there's more to it than that. Part of a reparations plan and the cost wouldn't be for individuals, but to address ongoing inequality in things like education and health care. Camila Moore is an attorney and reparatory justice scholar and the chair of the task force. I'll talk with her about the challenges of trying to put a dollar figure on injustice. It's been a whirlwind of emotions. It's been very cathartic to hear from those who would be eligible, you know, descendants of slaves, for instance, who are pretty much sharing their stories to us every time we meet, pouring their hearts out about the harms and atrocities they've endured. I also speak with Bloomberg's California Bureau Chief Karen Breslau. Some of this defies numbers, and it really speaks to something of a collective atonement. She's written a deeply reported piece about the task force, and she's here to tell us how reparations would actually work. Chairperson Moore, let me just start with the most basic question. What is the case for reparations? Why should California pay them? So the case for reparations in the state of California uh, particularly is about uh, the state taking accountability for its role in perpetuating what we've called the badges and incidents of slavery that still linger on and disproportionately negatively affect African-Americans, primarily those who are descendants of slaves. And so we have um, spelled out in our final report various different instances of California uh, perpetuating exclusionary public policy or widespread private discrimination as well. And um, that's what the crux of the justification for reparations in the state of California lies. And so how do you decide who should be eligible to receive compensation? 
So the task force, we debated around the issue of eligibility for over 10 months. And February of 2022 and March 2022, we finally came to a decision around who should be eligible, particularly for uh, monetary cash payments um, and various other forms of reparations. And we decided to base eligibility on lineage, uh, that being if you are a descendant of a free or an enslaved black person living in the United States prior to 1900, then you would be eligible rather than you know, a race-based standard. And so it's for people who lived anywhere in the United States, not just California, which of course was not a state that sanctioned slavery. Yeah, it's for um, any person who is a descendant of an enslaved or free black person living in the United States more broadly prior to 1900. Because a lot of black American Californians, uh, you know, our grandparents, great grandparents, they migrated from the South to California. The only part I wanted to note is around California's role in slavery. You know, a lot of people ask why California... You know, we have argued as a task force if we made the claim that California was only free in name. There were over, you know, 2,000 black people who were enslaved in the state. Uh, Not only that, California uh, implemented or enacted a fugitive slave law that was actually much more aggressive than the federal fugitive slave law. Um, That was in 1852. So that deputized ordinary white citizens to essentially round up free black people to Um, re-enslave them in the South or in some instances in the state of California as well. And so it's one thing to make the argument for reparations, which has been made over the years in any number of places, and quite another thing to try to figure out how you decide who gets what. How did you go about doing that to put a dollar figure on centuries of injustice? We hired five economists and public policy experts who are at the top of their field to assist us with this question in terms of how do you calculate um, potential compensation, uh, particularly for these, you know, decades, generations long of human rights violations, quite frankly. And so in our final report, you'll most likely see language acknowledging how it's nearly impossible to put a dollar amount on these human rights violations. But what we decided to do was to utilize these economists and public policy experts to essentially calculate the pure losses of the black community across five different state sanctioned atrocity areas. The global figure that the task force arrived at, meaning the five economists and public policy experts we hired, were able to calculate almost $800 million in the total losses in five particular harm areas. So housing segregation, so part of that $800 billion represents the loss of home ownership value because there was state-sanctioned redlining in the state that you know relegated Black folks to certain neighborhoods, to certain homes. Health harms, there's an eight-year life expectancy gap between white Americans and Black Americans. So some of that $800 billion value of loss is an attempt to quantify um, that life expectancy gap. They were able to gather some evidence to quantify the losses the Black community has faced over, you know, disproportionate uses of eminent domain in Black communities, over-policing and mass incarcerations took into account, for instance, loss of earning potentials and things like that. And then the fifth form, which was devaluation of black businesses. Uh, So taking in that $800 billion amount also takes into account the losses that black businesses have taken over time. 
the state task force has not recommended the state pay out $800 billion. And some news outlets have said we've recommended every black person get paid $1.2 million. Now that's misinformation. The monetary figures, again, just uh, represents the pure loss, economically speaking, of the black community because of us being targeted via exclusionary public policy and widespread private discrimination. And so now it's going to be up to the state legislature to read that methodology, hopefully endorse it, but then it'll be up to them to actually prescribe the actual amount. So it could be less than what we arrived at in terms of the loss. It could be more. It could be the same. It's That's a political conversation that's best left to the legislators at this point. And so have you assigned dollar amounts for individuals to claim if they have suffered losses under one or more of these five areas? So we haven't assigned dollar amounts, but we have recommended that there be two types of forms of compensation, cumulative reparation, repertory compensation, and individual compensation. So we have recommended that all folks who are eligible uh, receive reparations in the form of compensation. But in addition to that, those within the eligible class, if they can prove, so to speak, direct proof of harm in those five areas, then they should be entitled to additional compensation as well. But the dollar amounts assigned to each of those forms of discrimination are not set out in the report. There are monetary figures in the report, but they aren't dollar amounts that we're recommending per se. They represent the loss of the Black community over time based on those particular areas. And so those dollar figures you then think will be used by the legislature to try to come up with compensation amounts that correspond with the different forms of injustice that people suffered. Yes, exactly. And is this something that individuals will have to apply for to say, I was discriminated against in these areas and therefore I am making an application for compensation? So one of the recommendations from the task force were to create a new state agency tentatively called the California American Freedom Affairs Agency. And that would be the agency where people would essentially sign up to uh, receive direct repertory justice services, including showing their eligibility for um, the programs in general, but also cash payments. We invited expert witnesses around what this agency could look like, like administrative law professors, for example. And we uh, recommended that the agency have a genealogy branch uh, to assist people in showing their eligibility and then also It's a general eligibility branch for those cash payments. And so that each person would come forward and make a claim and then it would be looked into and sort of investigated to see whether or not the claim was valid? Yes, absolutely. So you've been working on this for quite some time. Um, What's this been like? You've been going around the state. You've been listening to people's stories. You've heard people saying this is a great idea. You've heard vocal opposition. What is it like to head this task force? First, I'd say an honor and a privilege. You know, I went to law school with an express purpose into studying repertory justice on a domestic and international level. So I went to Columbia for my JD, and then I received a Master of Laws in International Criminal Law from the University of Amsterdam. 
So this was just perfect timing for me in terms of me being able to transfer my the wealth of knowledge that I have into this historic process. It's been a whirlwind of emotions. It's been very cathartic to hear from those who would be eligible, you know, descendants of slaves, for instance, who are pretty much sharing their stories to us every time we meet, pouring their hearts out about the harms and atrocities they've endured um, over time living in the state of California. You know, it's been interesting getting hate mail as well from folks who aren't very enthusiastic about it, but, you know, it all comes with the territory. So I've been having a great experience overall. (laughs) And so where does it go from here? You've written this report, you're going to deliver it, and then what happens next? So the task force, as you mentioned, uh, we have finalized uh, the report. It will be officially released at our last hearing, which will be on June 29th in Sacramento. After that, the report will be delivered to the legislators, and it'll be up to the state legislator, the state assembly and the state senate uh, to, you know, study the report in good faith, meaningfully consult with us if needed, and um, implement our proposals and turn them into actual legislation. And then it'll be up to Governor Newsom to sign any reparations legislation into law. Some activists are saying that legislators can introduce reparations legislation as early as fall, winter 2023 or early 2024. And do you think this is going to be successful? Do you think California will approve reparations in one form or another? I do. I already see some conversations online from state legislators who are enthusiastic about even some of the more controversial aspects of the report. So there are legislators who literally just got elected, so they have some time to be in the legislature, which is a good thing, that are, you know, enthusiastic about introducing legislation for cash payments for descendants of slaves. And so I think that's a good sign to see very early on, even before the report is finalized, um, legislators willing to be bold and, you know, taking aspects of the report that some deem to be the hardest to accomplish. They're already looking into ways to partner with their other elected officials to make it a reality. And then looking further down the road, do you see your effort as a model for other states and maybe even the federal government for national reparations? I definitely see um, to the extent that states and localities uh, would like to also atone for any state or local uh, atrocities. Um, I definitely see what the state has done as a model. Um, Also, in our final report, there will be a final recommendation to transmit our final report to Congress and to the Biden administration. And that was in our interim report, but we've kind of beefed up the recommendation to say, okay, here's our final report. You know, you can implement full reparations without a comprehensive study because California has done that work for you already. And also to the Biden administration, you can create a commission for reparations by executive order committing to full effective reparations with a truncated study period because California has done so much work on this already. So, yeah, I'm optimistic that our state has done the work to set precedent for what reparations could look like on a state level and then nationally as well. And then I'll just lastly say there have been many different people around the world uh, from marginalized communities that have been inspired by the work of our task force and has personally reached out to me, people from you know, Namibia and Africa, Suriname and South America and so many other places who are inspired and looking to California for this work as well. Chairperson Camila Moore. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you.